If there's one thing I love about hacking, cybersecurity, and our little corner of the internet, it's that honestly, it can be really entertaining and interesting to watch and learn about. There's quite a few people out there that are geared toward making content that will help you go from maybe never having set hands on a terminal all the way up to claiming your first bug bounty. And well, speaking of bug bounties, remember back in episode 24 how I mentioned that there are people out there that can make it their career? Today, I'm bringing you another episode of my bonus interview series. We're sitting down with Ben Sedegapur, who you all might know better as Nahamsek. We're going to expand on some of the stuff that we talked about from that first bug bounty episode, get into how he made his way into creating and curating some of the best bug bounty content available, and just have some overall great discussion. I'm John Cordes, and today I'm going to take the passenger seat while Ben talks to us about what Vichelle it takes to be a bug bounty hunter and share some of his own stories along the way. Before we get into the episode, I have one little bit of housekeeping that I want to bring up. You probably noticed that you're getting more bonus episodes and content recently, specifically this interview series. I want to keep doing this for you once a month as a little add-on in addition to the regular episodes, but I can't do that without two things. The first is your feedback. When you're done with this episode, head over to our Discord, the link is in the description, and let me know if there's anything you'd change or anyone you'd like me to try to invite on. That will go a long way toward making sure that I'm giving you content that you enjoy and that you'll keep listening to. The second way you'll be able to get more bonus content like this is through my Patreon. I've got a full spiel at the end of this episode, so I won't do it here, but supporting me there will help me to be able to provide more and better content for everyone. You can find that at patreon.com slash whatvichelle, and I'll get into some of the finer details at the end of the episode. All right, I think that's enough of that. Let's head to the main course. So Ben, thank you again for joining in for this. Just to kind of introduce yourself to my audience, can you take a second to Give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and what you do. Oh, hey, John. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me on, on your show. Um, I'm Ben Sadegapur. Most people online know me as Nahamsek. Usually I would say I'm a bug bounty hunter, hacker, uh, something along those lines, but I don't have the title official anymore. I'm a content creator. I hack things. Um, I still dabble in bug bounties. I'm a pen tester. I do trainings and I also do uh, public speaking. So it's a lot of different uh, hats that I juggle between. Yeah, that is a lot of different hats. Can you talk about like how you got to the point where you've, you're you metaphorically wearing all these hats? Where did you really start out and how did that journey kind of affect you as you went forward? Honestly, it wasn't like a master plan I had that I want to do these things. It just naturally fell into my lap. Um, so a lot of people don't know my background a lot is that I came from a very weird college. We didn't really do a lot of cybersecurity. There wasn't really good cybersecurity. They were teaching backtrack when I was graduating and backtrack didn't even exist, exist back then. That's how old the program is. But then I heard about bug bounties uh, through a friend and um, he just like pretty much told me like, hey, why don't you go make money from hacking since you know how to hack things? And, you know, being young and naive, I was just like, oh, I don't want to get caught. You know, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to go to prison, whatever you want to call it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, go look this thing up. Just type in bug bounty. And just look up Yahoo. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like bug bounty. So I go home, I look this thing up and I'm like, holy crap, people are making money from this thing. Um, and I'm originally Iranian and being Iranian, Yahoo was huge for us. Yahoo Messenger back home was like 
the equivalent of like AIM instant messaging for people that were around in the 90s and 2000s in the US. That was what we used, right? Like that was the main form of like chat room communication. So I knew Yahoo like the back of my hand. I got into hacking Yahoo, made bounties. I worked for one of the bug bounty platforms in the past uh, before I joined HackerOne. Some things went down and uh, I ended up going to work at HackerOne. And I just honestly, not to get too deep too early into the podcast, but I just honestly think like we all come into this world with a purpose. We all have been given an opportunity to do something in mind. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I really enjoyed helping people in all aspects of life. And that kind of... Uh, got me to going to conferences and that kind of stuff. And it just one door after another, another after another opened up. Uh, the more conferences I went to, the more people I got to meet, the more opportunities opened up. And then with uh, the COVID stuff happening, it just gave me an opportunity to push myself even more online because I no longer could go to conferences. I no longer could go to these different events and life hacking events and that sort of stuff. So I really had to do more work on my own without relying on all of these conferences. And for, for people in my audience that don't know, you actually started your own conference, NahamCon, that was a virtual conference online, right? Bringing in different experts, bringing in different talks to be able to help, I guess, facilitate for others what's been done for you. Yeah, so it was originally called VersetCon. A big shout out to um, Stoke, John Hammond, and Heath, uh, aka the Cyber Mentor. Me and Heath were running to do this thing together called the Man of the Year for LLS and then you know, COVID broke out and Heath couldn't come to the city I was in. So he kind of like, was just like, I'll just help you out with this thing. But we just were doing this conference to raise money for a charity called Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Um, it's a big, you know, it's called LLS. It's a huge, huge charity in the world. We raised, I think $56,000 from it. And yeah, and it all went to charity. I ended up getting me the man of the year title locally in the, in the state that I'm in or in the city that I'm in. And uh, yeah, it was just for the charity thing. It's just like, I knew these corporations have the budget to uh, allocate to conferences. COVID happens. That budget is still there. They're not spending it. And what conferences charge are, what we charge in comparison to conferences was a fraction. You know, if you go to a uh, big B-size in a, in a big city, you're spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for a table. Ours, the most you spend was like three thousand dollars. And if you have 10, 15 sponsors, that raises a lot of money for that charity, right? So we wanted to do that. And then the other part of it was that I've gone to so many conferences and I love going to conferences. I've loved it as a kid. I've gone to them all the time as a kid. It was just more on the, I go to these different conferences, but it's so wide, right? You go to your local B-sides, you have people that want to talk about uh, blue team, purple team, red team, things that you don't even care about, AppSec, CodeV, all these different things. And it's just too wide range of content. So what do you do? You you spin up your own conference, you invite the people that you want to hear from, and the topics you want to hear from, you put them on a stage and you make your own conference. You're making a best of almost at that point, like it's specifically geared towards what people are showing as the high interest, high reward kind of fields. Exactly. And, and then with NahamCon, that's when NahamCon was created. The purpose wasn't to gatekeep speakers. It's just more of a, I know what I want to hear. I'm in the industry. It's very focused on bug bounties. I know who the top bug bounty hunters are. I know who's doing research. I know who's making the top dollars, who's you know owning the biggest companies. And I know that's what people want to hear. They don't want to, you know, it's not that they don't want to hear from other new hackers, but it's just more of a, Am I going to sit through this talk myself? If the answer is no, I can't have them come to the conference. 
Right. And even in my own experience doing conferences in person, right, there's also a certain kind of navigation that you have to work around. Am I about to go to a talk that is actually just a 90 minute vendor presentation? Or am I going to go to a talk to actually, you know, facilitate some new learning here? And there are ones that kind of breed the two together. But I think it is sometimes hard going to regular conferences and being thrown. Here's 90 minutes of why you want my tool, not here's 90 minutes of interesting and something that you can take away without really spending money right away. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, the conferences thing, but yeah, it's just, I wanted to put something together that if my dream conference would happen, what speakers would I get there, you know? And every year I reach out to the, you know, there's a core speakers that I go to because that's what the community wants. I want to hear from these people. And then there is this up and coming new hackers. I want to hear how they got there. And there is that group of people that are crushing it with new research, with new vulnerabilities, new CVEs, new techniques, whatever that is. And I go after them and invite them and I put it together and it's very much focused on the, I, want, I don't want to call it just bug bounty, but it's on the offensive side of web um, or just applications in general, but it's mobile application, it's IOT, it's web, uh, all these different things. It's so it's a, it's a really wide area that honestly, I guess you're right. Bug bounties is kind of the top of a tree, but it does branch down into so many different categories that it's almost its own mini DEFCON in terms of I can see the village for each of the things that you're talking about right now in my head. Yeah, it's like the it's like the red team without the preves without the fishing, <laughs> but it's like the, the first entry point into something, right? If you look at bug bounties. And that's what we that's why I could have been in the homcon with it just more of a what are the techniques that people could use in pen test and red teaming from an outside perspective from a you know if you're doing red team you're on the outside you haven't fished anybody how do you get in those are the things that we go after uh, more than anything with speakers i feel like i've seen it but you've worked with al has red right yep um on the stream that i do on sundays he was actually one of the guests i'm actually actually i had him on uh, my keynote i hosted a keynote for red team village last defcon it was me him, uh, John Hammond, and O'Day from uh, the Top Hacker on Try Hack Me. I remember going by the village round and trying to find, see if I could just get uh, eye review in my view at that point, because I had seen that online, that that was something that was happening. And it was my first DEFCON last year. So I was a little bit overwhelmed with everything at the time. But uh, seeing that put together, it was like an almost all-star team of some of the bigger content creators out there. And... You know, we're talking about all of you guys leading the red team keynote there and this powerhouse of content creators. How did you go and decide that streaming was where you wanted to make another impact? Because I think you being so geared towards education, it makes sense. But when did you decide that that was going to be something that you really wanted to do? The streaming thing is kind of weird. I've always wanted to do streaming. Me and my buddy used to, like, I feel like everybody else has done this, but six years ago, seven years ago, me and my buddy would just uh, stream Call of Duty together. But the catch was we'll play split screen multiplayer. So you would have two dudes on a split screen on the same monitor playing Call of Duty and streaming it. Uh, we thought it was going to take off. It didn't. But I've always wanted to stream. We just really, really wanted to stream and get into the whole concept of, like, you know, having a stream uh, community. I think one of the hackers, Zeeshana, was doing some like, um, there weren't streams, there were like Google Hangouts of some sort, I think, that he was doing and he was inviting people to watch him do some stuff, but it just wasn't, that was just one person and it wasn't really hacking. He was like doing slides, if that makes sense, he was doing presentations and like he had some like 
sites that he created that he was hacking on. I just wanted to eventually get into streaming. And the whole purpose was how do I teach people the things that I know on the live target while I do the whole dance of being responsible with disclosure without uh, closing any, you know, like disclosing any phones. Shimi just felt like it was the easiest way to do it because you have the audience that interacts with you while you do something fun versus it's not slides. I hated slides. I was going to so many conferences that the whole idea of going to more and more, doing more and more slides just made me just uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. And streaming meant just something very casual. It just gave me access to people that don't go to conferences. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of us are introverts. Uh, conferences are overwhelming for us socially, right? When you go there, it's a lot of social interaction. I personally, I, I you know, a lot of people, you know, because I stream think like I'm super outgoing, but I have a limit. I hit that limit on my first day. And then after that, my social battery is completely drained. But streaming isn't like that. It's just, I'm in my own comfort of my room doing something that I want, when I want, how I want it, and I don't have to play by anybody's rules. And it just turned out to be something really fun that I honestly think was one of the best things that I did, and it changed a lot of things for me. I think even with what you're talking about, there's the same thing on the audience side, right? You can't stop a conference midway through a live demonstration to ask a question very easily, right? But if I'm an audience member watching your stream, it's also slightly easier, you know, you don't see me, you just see my username, to ask a question to, for what you're doing. What, like, Ben, why are you doing this? I feel like it should be done this way, or I'm used to doing it this way. Can you explain that a little bit? And it can prompt a whole segment of a stream for that kind of education, which I don't think you get at the live shows very often. And then it puts the audience back in that comfort place. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, um, I compare hacking to what gaming used to be about 12 years ago. If you think about it, like, Gaming was this thing that like a bunch of nerds were doing. Oh, who plays video games? Like, oh, why are they streaming? Who's going to watch them? Like, I feel like that was the, you know, the the entire thing around gaming, how people looked at it. It was not even people game, but who's going to watch a game online, right? And I've always thought hacking could be one of those things. Hacking could have the esports hacks events that we see coming out, you know, more and more now. It could be something that we could stream thanks to, you know, these companies like Hack the Box, Try Hack Me, CTF Challenge, all these different things that are out there. But it's just, it, it missed somebody willing to put themselves out there to do it because when it comes down to hacking, you're not just playing a game, but you're also demonstrating your technical knowledge. And the more streaming you do, the more you show your flaws, your, the more you show how much you don't know, how much you have to Google and that sort of things. And a lot of people don't want to do that, honestly. It's, all, it's like a resume almost for you. If you, can, if you archive your streams and you ever apply for a job, someone can say, I'm just going to pull up you know, when he did this and I can watch him do something live. It's interesting to think about that side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I just felt like hacking could become a thing where we see more and more hackers stream. I'm not going to take credit and say I was the person that made that happen, but I feel like I played a role in welcoming people and pushing more and more people to be okay with being on stream, more people turning on their cameras while they stream, more people doing, you know, these hack the box challenges and putting themselves out there. And now you see a, there's, I think, hundreds of people that do that nowadays. Uh, and I see when I when I first started doing this, when I would look for the word hacking on science and technology channel of Twitch, sometimes I wouldn't find anybody. 
now when I do that, there's at least one or two people streaming when I sign off that I can raid into their channels. It was something I tried at one point too. I tried doing the hack box walkthroughs for a little bit while I was studying for OSCP. I tried doing Twitch streaming. My schedule couldn't keep up with it and podcasting ended up being where I landed, which I'm very thankful for. But I, I see how hard it is to do that. And I'm impressed at, you know, you and Al and the guys who do this multiple times a week sticking to that regimen being able to put all that content out there and keeping your energy levels up about it it must be hard avoiding burnout it is really hard man it was uh the more years i've gone through the harder it's gone at first it was really easy because you wanted to become that affiliate you know you had to put in the hours then i wanted to become uh you know a twitch partner so i had to put in the hours and then i just realized i'm giving up half of my life i was literally streaming uh thursday friday saturday sunday mondays between 11 to 2. So I had no weekends. Yeah, I get the I get the notifications when you go online, and sometimes I'm like, did it, where it wasn't very just to stream. Yeah, and it's mostly you know you do those eleven to twos every Sunday, every Monday, every you know every Saturday, Sunday. It's to the point that my friends would come over, would hang out, and be like, oh, you want to go camping or you want to go like hiking tomorrow? And they're like, oh, but you got to stream. And then that just became a pattern with all my friends, and I was like, holy crap, man! Like I really don't have a life anymore. That's all I'm doing. So I kind of changed everything, and I had to kind of put a pause, and I took a really long break. Not just for fun. I try to stick to a schedule more and more, but if I wake up and I don't feel like, I really don't feel like being social. So there's a difference between being lazy and really not feeling like being on a uh, on a stream. And I've learned which one it is. I can differentiate the two kind of. If I really don't feel like doing a stream, I just cancel if I don't have a guest and I just apologize and not show up. And people are most, I've realized people don't care. People don't get mad at you. They understand. Right. Like, especially when some of your audience might not even be there for the live stream. They might be going for the YouTube archive, right? So yeah. you have got plenty of backlog to work through. You'll be on tomorrow. There's always a new day. Like I've learned something slightly similar in that if I take a week off, no one's mad at me. If I say, hey, I couldn't get this episode out in time and I don't want to rush something to give you guys something that's not good. I want to make sure I keep myself up, right? Uh, no one got mad. Like that is a weird lesson to learn the first time. I do appreciate the talk about streaming, but I wanted to ask a little bit about some of the bug bounty stuff. And yeah, for sure. Before we get into that, I had a little question that I posed on an episode I did where I had covered kind of a history and a what is a bug bounty program in general. And one of the questions I had, I wanted to get your idea on, which was when do you think the first public bug bounty was or what year do you think that happened in and if you have any guesses as to what it might be so there is reports that i feel like vw or something did a bug bounty in the 90s sometime in the late 90s early 2000s maybe for their cars i don't remember what it was but it was the thing that we always so i worked at hacker one that was one of the things that like we always talked about but on a web portion I want to say like on a you know actual bug bounty for products like online. I want to say 2011, 2012, probably someone like Google or Facebook were the first to do it. So you were right with the bug. It was, but it was in the 80s. It was 1983, and it was a VRTX real-time operating system in their car. If you found a bug, you got a VW bug. So you get a bug if you find a bug. And then Netscape Navigator 2.0 in 95 was. One of the first big oh, I web forgot ones. about that one. Yeah, I forgot about that. I knew that one. Dang it. Okay. Yeah, the VW one has been like beaten into me. So I know that one for sure because of how much we talked about it. But uh, the second one, um, completely forgot about it. It's a really good one. And then I think after that, this one is conjecture on my point, but I think it might have been Firefox because I was in high school when they put out that. And I remember being like, 
you can earn money trying to hack Firefox now. That is really cool. Yeah, Firefox, I know, has been, uh, they've done a bug bounty for a while. Chrome was offering bounties for a while, too, before, you know, other programs went up. I would love to know which company actually issued the first bounty over, you know, a hardware or software or something like that. That would be very, very cool to see. Yeah, and if it was an actual cash bounty, because I think early on there were a lot of places that were like, we're going to give you whatever our services as a reward for finding these bugs. Um, I don't know who pulled up the first cash bounty. From what I have in my in my notes from that episode, Firefox offered up to $500 in 2004. So it might have been right around there, but that was the first time cash really started getting paid out. But while you've been working and you've been doing bug bounties, I was wondering if you had any kind of top stories or top bounties that are super memorable for you. I know on your Hacker One profile, you have an article or a blog post that you had wrote about the time you had hacked Lyft. Yeah, that must be, that might be one of my favorite ones. Um, ones that I can talk about, this is a really hard one because a lot of them, I'm, I'm actually pulling up my uh, Hacker One profile to see what's public. A lot of them are invite-only bug bounties that I hack on. So it's really hard to like talk about them. Honestly, I think Lyft and Snapchat, even though they're from like three, four, five, six years ago, maybe even, uh, they're the favorite ones I've done, not because of the vulnerability itself, but one was a collaboration between me, uh, Daken, Zayed, and we also took that research and bundled it as a talk at DEF CON. It opened up a door for me to talk at DEF CON for the first time, but also it won like the hacking technique, like the first or second place on Burp Suite. They do that, you know, they do it every year. They just did theirs uh, in 2023. That also won second place or first place something like that that year those are probably the favorite ones because like it, it really pushed me to learn something new they're also big companies like who doesn't want to say i've hacked lyft i've hacked snapchat companies that most people know can you talk a little bit about like the process for finding the lyft vulnerability that you had exploited there huh. that's a really good story actually yeah uh so i was traveling to some chicago cybersecurity thing for for work i was speaking at and mind you, that was probably like one of the, the the highlights of like my career because I flew in from one city, came home. The next morning, I went to Chicago, and then I had to come home from Chicago and go to Argentina or Singapore or something like that for work. We're just doing crazy travel that week, and it was like me and like the same two group of people that were doing this. And uh, I used Lyft. I, I religiously used Lyft for a while because the prices were cheaper than Uber. I did Lyft driving in college. I just, I don't know why. I just love doing Lyft, right? And uh, I'm, I'm traveling and I, I get an, I get a Lyft from my house to the airport and sorry, from the other way, from the airport to my house for my last trip, right? And the next morning I wake up, I'm on the next flight over to go to Chicago, but I'm filing my expense. So as I'm closing one ride to request the next one, go to the airport, I go, oh, what is this new thing? You can actually put an expense report in here. Like you can put a note for your expense report in here. And, you know, being, I always put payloads in everything. So I just put like underline, you know, the H1 tag that makes things bigger. And I just put like my expense. I go ride from airport home for trip XYZ. Don't think about it. I wake up the next morning on the plane. I go, oh, I got four hours on this flight, three hours. I'm going to file my expense report. So I click on this expense. And what do you see? There is a giant rendered HTML inside of a PDF. <laughs> right? And for people that don't know, 
if you can get HTML to render in a PDF, that happens server side, and that causes a request, uh, a server side request forgery, where you can pretty much access local files, local resources, local network uh, within that application or that machine. And in our case, this machine was sitting on AWS. But the problem was, I had to take a ride every time I wanted to export this. And I just started this freaking flight. I'm like three hours away and I'm messaging my buddy Donut. We're really close back then. And I'm like talking to him like, oh my God, this is just firing, dude. What do I do? Holy crap, what do I do? And he goes, well, I'm at work right now, but I can take an Uber or take a Lyft and go to the Starbucks down the street, but it's only like a block away. This, this Lyft driver is going to hate me. And I go, screw it. Tell the guy you're going to tip him, take, an, uh, take a Lyft to Starbucks and then get dropped off and take another one back. This is literally within the same block. So he could have walked in in 30 seconds, I think, in San Francisco. So God bless him, he does this and he comes back. This thing fires, this thing fires again, but we couldn't exploit it. Later, we would come back from the second trip and I went to Dakin, you know, we worked together at Hacker One together. And I go up to him like, hey, listen, like I have this vulnerability, but I can't exploit it. And we're in New York at this point. And we were just owning things all week long, me and him. We're just hacking bug bounties because we're at work, we're not an event, but a lot of free time. So we're just hacking a lot of things. And he goes, screw it, let's just take a look at it. So we take a look. Um, there's a video about this whole thing. Stoke was there, he recorded the whole thing. Dakin and I sat there and we realized that my payloads weren't fully firing because the quotation mark on a mobile device isn't the same as what you need to close up the quotes in an HTML, does that make sense? It's like it's like the sideways quote and not the regular double quote that you need that you use in HTML. Right, it looks similar, but it's not the exact same thing on the back end. Correct, it's slanted to the right or left, depending on where you do it. And then we realized that, and then Dakin and I pulled the, you know, pulled the header, it was Weezy print, and we actually dropped a Weezy print O'Day on them to be able to fully exploit this. So we're in New York at this point, and me and Dakin are just taking $20 rides around New York just to try this thing out the next day. We finally were able to exploit it, which was the the story of it itself is a lot more fun than the bug. And the bug was paid out maybe like I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars. I don't even know what the bounty was, to be honest. But it was such a fun little event that we had me, Dakin, Zayed, and you know everyone that was involved with getting rides for us that made it uh, very, very fun. And then we later used that O'Day into a CTF just because we wanted to see how many people can actually own this thing. And it turns out everybody and everybody that participated could own this as long as they knew the header because it's an open source project and you can read the source code and exploit it. So really it all just boiled down to you being curious about this new field It's is how that started. You recognize that's new, let's see what happens. And you know, the ball just kept rolling in however many Uber rides or Lyft rides it was after that point just brought you on that little journey. I wonder, did they uh, cover the Lyft rides after you reported it to them? Like in the bug bounty, was your Lyft ride reimbursed for the amount of times it took to actually get a functional exploit working? I think Hacker One reimbursed me for most of them because we're just taking a ride to go get food and that kind of stuff. But to be honest, we didn't care. We wanted to hack this thing so much. First, the answer is no. They just gave us a bounty. The bounty was... <laughs> The bounty wasn't huge, but honestly, it was just more of a, it was such a beautiful vulnerability. It was such a beautiful like process that we had so much fun with this thing that it was just incredible. Uh, so if you were out of reading this, just to go to YouTube and type in like hacking, you uh, hacking lift and then put Stoke next to it and the homesick next to it. It should come up and it's such a funny video 
to see us just go through the, all the motions and just see the irritation on my face and that sort of stuff. Definitely going to put a link to that into the description of this episode so that people could just go in and click that. Sounds like this lift one was a really fun and positive experience in bug bountying. But I'm wondering, have you ever had anything on the flip side of that where either working with a vendor or putting the time in to try to crack a bug has just been an overall negative experience that you left yourself at the end of it all just really wanting to back away from the computer for a bit? Oh, plenty of time, man. Like It's happened more than you can think, but at the end of it, I've learned that you can't win them all. I can get pissed off and get angry and want to quit bug bounties or whatever. It's not going to solve the issue. There's been a time where, one, in my head, I think something's more critical. The company doesn't think it's critical. That's happened a lot. And then, you know, we go back and forth. And some, you know, a lot of times the companies are nice enough and they kind of like compromise. And there's times where the company just pretty much tells you to take a hike. We're not going to take your argument. But it's happened. It's happened a lot of times. But that's just the, the risk of doing bug bounties. But when I was doing bug bounties full time, I was doing them in such a massive like amount of vulnerabilities that it just turned out to be like, you know what? Screw it. The next one will make up for it. Yeah, I can see where that would be, especially if you're trying to do this as a full time position, right? You're I feel like it's very rare that you're not just gonna ever be floating into the next one or trying to find something else. There's options everywhere, I feel like especially when you use the tools like HackerOne to try to facilitate where you can find bounties. One of the things that we had talked about a little bit in my own Discord server was, I think some people see bug bountying and they're like, I want to claim the high payout bug bounties. That's what I want to do. I want to get a $10,000 bug bounty. I want to get one of these legendary Apple $200,000 bug bounties, but I don't think people realize the amount of work that that would take and that that might be kind of a in some of those cases a once in a lifetime crack to get a payout that big i wanted to maybe talk a little bit about what that actually looks like as a profession right are you cracking a lot of bugs at once are you going through and doing smaller levels to get lower payouts and a higher number and what that looks like so one about the whole wanting to get the top bounty i posted this tweet a while ago that i said uh Getting the top bounty on a program is like getting the high score on an arcade game. And that doesn't happen overnight, right? If you go into an arcade and you set the highest score on that game, you must have played that game all your life. Every day you've played that game for a while because you became good at it, right? So it doesn't happen overnight. People that think like, oh, these guys are getting these top bounties. No, there's been countless years that happened in the background for that person to get to the point to claim that top bounty. When I do bounties, the obviously I do it, you know, now that I do it full time again, it's the whole purpose of it is to make a living off of it. But I'm not going in with, I'm going to get this top bounty today. I'm just going in as I'm going to try and own this application every possible way. And I find one pattern of mistakes and I just zoom in on that as much as I can until it's completely dry. And then I find another pattern and sometimes those patterns come together i find two different patterns of mistake and i just rinse and repeat but it's never that i go oh i'm gonna get the top bounty i mean that's great i want to do that it's so that i tell myself you're not gonna get this top bounty but the whole purpose is just going into this application and finding as many vulnerabilities as i can in hopes of coming across that one thing that's gonna give me the top bounty or it's gonna find me a critical vulnerability or whatever that is yeah i can see where that i like i really like the arcade analogy there that 
even within bug bounties, you'll probably find people very specifically honed in on one either application or type of bounty hunting. In that case, it sounds like. Yeah, and the people that get those top bounties on a regular, they're really, really, really good at just owning organizations. It's no longer just web wounds. They find these very unique and interesting endpoints within these websites, for example. They know where uh, things get leaked. They know, you know where to find important documentation or important endpoints that could do particular things. For example, there could be a... They know how to find SSRF at a mass because of these certain endpoints. They know the patterns of mistake that every organization makes by probably not gating their Jenkins, for example. Those were the things that you would see three, four, five years ago. It's just people that were talking about owning companies that were finding, you know, on off Jenkins or they were finding some GitLab enterprise that didn't have proper authentication and they were finding vulnerabilities within them. Those people are just very, very good at knowing all these companies that are big, no matter how big they are, they make the same mistakes. I just got to find those over and over and over again. I think that's that's an interesting fact to think about is like that mistakes aren't necessarily localized to one place that the same the same idea can be applied and templated and likely found in a lot of other different areas of the same industry or for similar programs. And I did have a couple people who were interested in maybe trying to figure out how to get off the ground and what some of the best practices were getting off the ground and bug bountying. And I know you've done everything from your countless tutorials to having a full Udemy course on doing bug bountying. But do you think you could kind of maybe walk through what it kind of looks like for someone to who would want to get started today in terms of figuring out how to do bug bountying? Yeah, the first thing is just do it. Like, honestly, just go and do it. Stop, you know, giving yourself an excuse of, oh, I don't know enough. I'm not going to find anything. I deal with the same thing. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to find any bugs. What's the point? Trust me, I go through that every couple of weeks where I get burnt out and I go, well, what do I do? I'm not going to find anything. But then I push myself. What do you know? You find more vulnerabilities. So that's the first thing is just to get on the computer and get on the keyboard and do it. And I know it's intimidating when there's all these different programs, all these different hackers. You see all these different tweets and all these different things that are, you know, people are coming out and saying, I found this bounty, blah, blah, blah. Just forget all that noise and go and do it. So my recommendation for people is, and you can come after me in the comments, I don't care, is go and do vulnerable disclosure programs. The vulnerable disclosure programs are the see something, say something. You don't get paid for your bounty, but you get recognized for your work. And honestly, with companies like Bar Crowd, Hacker One. Um, those are the ones I've had a lot of experience with is you find vulnerabilities in these smaller programs or these, sorry, these VDPs, you get fed into the algorithm of private invites. You want to find a way, the biggest thing that I want to stress to people is you want to find a way to break into the algorithm and you want to be able to get invited to these private programs, even if those private programs have been rent by other hackers. Once you get into those private invites, you can either decline the invite and ask for another one. These are all automated. You go and you say, I don't want this invite. And within 24 hours, it gets replaced. It takes one program for you to find one program that you're going to find three, four, five vulnerabilities to build momentum, to get more invites and just rinse and repeat this entire process. So if you're new, you want to do this, go learn the basics, go to WebSec Academy, go to Hacker 101. Speaking of invites, if you go to hacker101.com, you can do some of the CTFs they give you invites. Once you finish, you know, three, four flags, that means an invite to a private program. Go do those things. 
and then once you've learned them you get invited just hack you have to do some of this so the power of defense is a really good one gm ford ibm is a really good one they don't pay but it's a really good place to one learn how to automate some stuff learn how to scope out a bug bounty program learn how to approach a target and then they have so many different applications you can sign up for and hack on that is just endless vulnerabilities and then that just opens up the door for you to get to private programs and then you find a private program that's really good you go up the ladder you go up the leaderboard and you get more invites and more invites to bug bounty programs to hack on and i think what a lot of people don't might don't necessarily realize off the bat is you're taught you talk a little bit about doing some of the kind of ctf stuff at the start of this or going into the hacker one site and getting a flag for for private invites right i don't think a lot of people realize that these are grounded in real world situations when you have stuff like this that you know oh i'm just doing a training is what i think a lot of people think of it or i'm doing a game right now but at one point what you're doing likely very would have claimed a bounty so i'll tell you this i used to work as the head of hacker education on hacker one i built a vast majority of these CTFs on Hacker 101. I didn't personally write the code, but I designed the concept with uh, a friend of mine called Adam uh, Langley. He's a huge CTF creator. He's awesome. Definitely go check him out. But we created the CTFs. Everything we created was either based on a vulnerability that I found or something based on the disclosed reports on Hacker 1. So you're not just doing a, you know, a challenge. You're not just playing a game. You are literally hacking on a thing that somebody else has gotten paid for. Right. And if you're taking notes and if you're figuring out how to do it through this and you come out of that and you're actually able to do it, it's a tactic that you can probably take somewhere else or integrate into your own life cycle as you're doing this from now on, because it's worked at some point. For sure. I think CTFs are a really good place to just build the fundamentals of everything you need to know about hacking in general, but also more if you're doing web CTF stuff, a lot of them are based on things that have happened in the past. And also with CTFs, you know, there's a solution. So you're not just hacking for nothing. You just have to figure out what the solution is. And if you can build that mindset for bug bounties, it's insane. I've seen some of the best CTF players that we've recruited with Hacker 101 when I was back at Hacker One. These CTF players are relentless, dude. They would find things that we didn't think was possible because their mindset is there is a solution. So it gives you really good skills and they're very transferable in, uh, to real world and like hacking. Well, what you're talking about, about just going in and doing it, it's that's very similar to what I tell people who want to get into CTFs. So when I first started doing that, I was like, I didn't, I was intimidated by it. I didn't know exactly what I was going to be doing with it. But when you start in and you go in doing it, if you have the right mindset, yeah, you're going to be doing a lot of Googling in terms of can I exploit this and where has this been exploited in the past? But if you can push through that and plow through that and just get into it, it's the same methodology, right? You're going to eventually find yourself doing what you had to search for earlier, but now it's just ingrained in you. Absolutely. So for sure, go and try CTFs. And if also like you're scared of getting into these like big CTFs, Pico CTF is a really good one to learn the basics. It teaches you a lot of things you need to know about just fundamental internet things that help you with hacking. So I really recommend Pico CTF as well. Yeah, I'm going to have that. And honestly, I'm probably just going to have an information dump in the description and on my website for this episode, because there's going to be a lot coming out of this that I want to share with people. Honestly, in terms of the stuff that I had hoped to cover, we hit the top of it. I'm wondering if you have any kind of advice or any kind of words of wisdom you would give having been several years into content creating, many years into bug bountying at this point that you'd want to share out. Not a whole lot, honestly. The, some of the things that I wish I knew is just be easy on yourself. You know, I'm not saying don't have, don't be disciplined. I'm not saying don't be ambitious, but just know that like things don't happen overnight. It takes time for it to be built. 
So it just comes with patience and, you know, just giving yourself time and not being super hard on yourself. Uh, the biggest other thing is just have goals, be ambitious with your goals and honestly just show up to try and uh, accomplish those things that you want to accomplish. Yeah, just show up is probably the best phrase to start off. Just sit down in a chair and get going. Yeah, show up for yourself. It's the best thing to do. It's the way, best way to put it. Surprisingly hard, but also good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us on this episode. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll get to, you know, learn something from this. So I at least enjoyed me rambling about, you know, hacking and uh, bug bounties. That episode is one of the ones that I've had on my podcast bucket list since its inception. If you're interested in learning about bug bountying, I've got a bunch of Ben's socials and links in the description of the episode. I highly encourage you to go subscribe. And to Ben, thank you again for coming on the show. It says a lot about our community when we have bigger guests and content creators such as yourself be open to collaborating and coming on. And I hope that attitude ripples out to anyone listening. If any of you want to hang out, you can join me and some of our fans in the show's Discord. The link to that and my socials are in the description of the episode with everything else. And lastly, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, there is something else that I want to talk to everyone about. You probably noticed that, hey, there's no ads in this show, and that's pretty neat. That doesn't mean that the show doesn't cost money to make, though. So to help offset the cost, I did launch a Patreon. And it's as simple as going to patreon.com slash whattheshell. There's a couple different plans out there, including varying levels of bonuses. Do you want to support the show? Do you want some Discord flair on our server that will make you stand out? Hell, maybe you even want to commission a mini episode that'll be available on Patreon. It's all there, but I'll let you decide if it's worth it. I get it if it's not something that you're into, so don't sweat it. And lastly, before we go, speaking of signing up, here's a thanks to all the existing patrons that are helping me keep the show running. So thank you, and I do apologize again on any pronunciation errors. I'm trying. Thank you to Benjamin Sweetnam, John, Jay, Adon, Kristen Odegaard, Pefer, Chris Finnick, Ben Markerell, Pseudo, RKAFLDVXUB, which is exactly how it's typed out, and last but certainly not least, the user that's continuing to test out a limit of characters in his username, and I'm pretty sure I've got memorized at this point, quote, I use Pot of Greed to draw three additional cards from my deck. Thank you for supporting the show. It truly means the world to me. I'll be back for another episode of What the Shell. <laughs>